Let's pray, friends. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. Thank you, too, for your amazing love towards us. Give us grace this morning to to discover afresh your love for us, your calling to us, the way that you want us to be and to live. Amen. I wonder, have you ever been bungee running? Got to be a certain generation to think you might have done that. Um, It's one of these things where you um, have a a rope tied behind you, there we go, uh, and you try desperately to outrun your colleague and place your marker just a little bit further than he, he or she does. It's great entertainment, um, and it works as entertainment because everybody's got an elasticated rope attached to their back. And, um, yes, you can do some free running as well. Everybody has an elasticated rope attached to their back. The problem for some of us, I want to suggest, is that we live life with a similar rope around us. We work really hard to change or do something different, and then our past... Our emotions, our bad habits, the lies we believe about ourselves, they pull us back. And pull us back to the place where we used to be. Then we wallow in self-pity for a while. And then we pick ourselves up again and try all over again, knowing ultimately we'll fail. We'll be back again. I think I want to say that Jesus came to cut that rope. He came to bring change to our situations. I had a reading just now from um, John chapter 12, and um, it's an astounding story, isn't it? It's, in John's view, it's Mary, Mary, uh, sister of Martha, brother to Lazarus, who pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, the chapter before that, um, John 11, we have it that um, John chooses to remind ourselves of, of, of this um, in a little kind of verse in brackets. John 11:2 runs like this. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And then you get the story of the, the, the illness and the death, uh, and then the raising of Lazarus four days later. And then chapter 12 retells the story of the pouring of the perfume. And I wonder whether Mary does this out of thankfulness for the return of Lazarus to her. Four days is no um, just kind of flashing the pan, I was a bit ill, I died, I shut my eyes, and then suddenly I'm back again. Four days is serious, properly, Lazarus was dead. And then he was raised to life by Jesus. It was an astounding miracle with, of course, an outstanding and astounding response from Mary. Now, you've all good... I guess, people who have read the Bible and you recognise that actually there are parallel tellings of this story in Luke's Gospel and in Mark's Gospel. 
uh, in Luke in particular, um, Luke has it that um, <coughs> it was a woman who was seeking forgiveness. The way that um, Luke describes the woman, um, uh, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind Jesus and she cried and then she dried her tears, she cried and, and her, her tears were on Jesus' feet and she used her hair to, to dry Jesus' feet and then she poured out this perfume and a similar amazed response from the crowd around going, what's going on? Why? But the woman was only concerned about the opinion of Jesus the woman knew that it was Jesus that could bring her forgiveness it was Jesus that could cut the ties of the past. It was Jesus that could do what she needed. And so she brought an extravagant response to an extravagant God. In that passage in Luke, um, Jesus tells this story, um, or asks a question, sorry, to, to his host, who's a Pharisee in the Luke version, um, and suggests that um, you know, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. So one ten times as much as the other. Neither of them had the money to pay. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon says, of course. Simon, the, the host, the Pharisee, says, of course, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus goes on to say, this woman has had many sins forgiven. And so, of course, she loves extravagantly. Jesus came to break the chains of bondage that hold us to our past. And in having those chains of bondage broken, so we need to ask how are we? What's our equivalent of the expensive perfume? What's our extravagant, fragrant offering? What do we value most that we bring to Jesus? We sometimes sing the song, don't we? The prayers of the saints are the sweet-smelling offering. Perhaps it's our prayers that we bring. Perhaps it's a whole life, a whole life story that we bring to Jesus. So whether we focus on Mary or whether we focus on that sinful woman seeking forgiveness, Jesus brings that forgiveness and therefore there's a grateful response from the woman. And perhaps the reason that she's so extravagant is because she's found freedom. Freedom from those past choices. Our mistakes can be like chains that wrap around us and pull us back, pull us down. Here's an example. A um, woman who um, sat an exam one day and um, she failed it. She thought nothing much of it. She'd been very good at sitting exams and she revised hard and sat the, sat the exam again the next year. She studied hard, got to the exam paper and panicked. The words of the questions just kind of swam around in front of her and she couldn't make sense of it and she was upset and frustrated and angry and cross and after half an hour she walked out, not having written anything. And that experience became a chain because she believed the lie 
I'm not good at exams. Even though previous exams she'd managed to pass. But she still repeated the lie to herself. I'm not good at exams. I'm no good at this. I'm no good at exams. And it became a chain that held her back until she recognised that it was a lie. And she stopped repeating it to herself. She changed the way that she thought. Yeah, sometimes she has to fight against saying it. But it had become, because it had become so firmly attached. Sin can be like that. We make a mistake, we feel guilty, we ask forgiveness, we even stop whatever it is. But we can keep going over and over it in our minds. It's accepting a chain because it pulls us down and makes us feel less than we should be. A few weeks ago, Harry Parsons was preaching. He's away this weekend. Um, and one of the things he said there was, um, that really struck me, was that it's God who forgives our sins. So why are we harsher on ourselves than God is? Why do we hold our sins against us when God doesn't? We're going to live by God's standards. If God forgives us our sins, then we need to live in that forgiveness rather than keep on remembering our sins on behalf of God when He doesn't. God's intention for us is that we walk free from our sin because, like that woman, we should know our sin is forgiven and not carry any shame. So she used her freedom to love extravagantly. She's loving with everything she has. She's loving with the money she has by giving the gift. She's loving with her whole body. She's using it to worship Jesus and show him honour. In other words, nothing is holding her back. She is indeed freed to love. So looking back, our past Choices, our past habits sometimes chain us up into the future. It's a bit like this um, horse who will appear on the screen in a moment. And um, here it is. The quote, as I found it on the internet, was this Something, sometimes the thing that's holding you back is all in your head. The horse could easily, couldn't he, just walk away. Take the chair with him, or her, don't know which it is, um, but somehow feels tied to the chair and stands stationary. Sometimes the thing that holds you back is all in your head, and Jesus comes to break those chains. How do we experience and live out that breaking of the chains. It's possible because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on a cross for us. But how we live that out, I want to suggest to you, is two prongs. It's partly about clearing the decks. It's partly about saying sorry for the things that we've been complicit in doing. And saying and thinking. But also, it's partly about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, changing our mindset. The set of our minds, if you like. And that has to do, has to be about dwelling on the things of God. So, you could choose to set your mind on being thankful. 
we have this book at home which is called something like A Thousand Blessings. It's the story of a woman who set out to write down the ways that God had blessed her. And she wrote down five or six every day. And she wasn't very good at having a notebook, one notebook to put it all in. So she put them on bits of paper and then she'd hide one behind the clock and stick another one to the fridge. And the next one went, you know, in the, in the flower pot. And, and yes, quickly she ran out of that. Thank you God for my family. Thank you God for good health. Thank you God for my home. Quickly she had to be a little bit more detailed than that. And begin to notice people, relationships, creation. But it also meant that when she was having a bad day, she'd move the flower pot and she'd go, Oh, look, these are the ways that I felt blessed back then. These are the ways that I recognized God's love for me back then. And actually it helped her and lifted her by reminding her of the things that God had blessed her with. Set your mind on being thankful. Dwell then on the reality that if you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, then God has adopted you into his family. Dwell on that reality that he has placed his Holy Spirit in you as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That means that God has predecided the outcome of the day of judgment. Because your name is in the book of life. God actually wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend eternity with you. Amen. Thank you, Ray. You're a child of God. You're loved, accepted, adored by Father God. So set your mind on the things of God. And if you struggle... There's a whole Bible's worth of stuff about God. And within that, I want to suggest to you maybe Mark's Gospel, Colossians, Philippians are good starting places to discover again that amazing love of God. His care for you. His desires for you. Set your mind on the truth that God offers us. A couple of years ago we ran a course known as Freedom in Christ. And we can't, of course I can't completely summarise that in one sermon. It was a 13-week course and it had a day's worth of, of application as well. But let's get started. Remember, set your mind on the things of God. Remember that you have hope, meaning and purpose in Christ. So break the chains of the past and live in the freedom that God gives us. Now, I want to focus on... on Two particular passages. Paul writes to the church uh, at Galatia. Um, his main focus, of course, in, in writing Galatians is about trying to challenge their intention to be circumcised. So this is verses 1 and 2. It is for freedom then that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then uh, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. 
He's trying to stop them then from walking back into the bondage of the past, of the old covenant. It was a bondage to doing, to rules, to trying in our own strength to be holy. Instead, he calls them to hold fast to freedom. That's not a freedom to ignore others. It's a freedom to respond rightly to God's love for us. And Paul's summary, verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. We're called to be free, says Paul. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. It's harsh words. It's hard words. But the calling is to love your neighbour as yourself. That's how we're to live out our lives. In response to God's breaking of the chains, in response to that freedom that we can find, we're called to live it out by loving our neighbour as ourselves. Love your neighbour as yourself. James uses the very same command. He's um, beginning of James chapter 1 and chapter 2 in his letter. He, in chapter 2 particularly, he's focused on on how awful it is and how bad it is when Christians and how wrong it is that Christians should show favouritism of any sort. And uh, you'll see from the verses that come up that that James sees an outworking of this love your neighbour as yourself as the thing which ought to drive all our earthly relationships. Here we go. All being well. Here we go. James chapter 1 talks about whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it will be blessed in what they do. (laughs) But mm, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. This is about living out, friends. Uh, And that perfect law um, in chapter 2 comes as the same thing. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you really keep the royal law, royal meaning, uh, I think, for James, that actually it was Jesus who, also while he was on earth, summarised the law like this. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep the royal law, if you really keep the royal law, found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So speak and act as those who are, being, you know, are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So for James, instead of showing favouritism, we're called to love our neighbour as ourself. There's, it's not a freedom to do anything, it's a freedom to love. But to freedom to love our neighbour as ourselves. I want to quote to you from a, a commentary I read, it's an IVP commentary, uh, and it runs like this. We are to act as ones who are obligated to live up to a standard that frees from oppression. Our relationships are corrupted by the sin in our character that leads us to approach people with fear or with calculation, with judgmentalism, with manipulation for our self-interest. These really are burdens upon our relationships. Christ would free us from that. Free us from the sin of materialism so that we can be freed from economic favouritism. 
He would free us from the sin of racism so that we can be freed from ethnic favouritism. The royal law of loving one's neighbour as oneself brings freedom to forgive the neighbour's wrongs, freedom to ask forgiveness for our own wrongs, freedom to accept differences among us, and freedom to open ourselves to others. It is freedom from the selfishness that is at the heart of favouritism. So we are freed to no longer be selfish. We are freed, in other words, to love your neighbour as yourself. And to work hard at working out what that means. Because frankly, friends, that will affect everything about us. It will affect our relationships with people that we meet, it will affect the relationships with the people that we are in economic relationship with, the people that we buy our food from, the people that we buy our clothes from and through, the people, all sorts of things. Everything is affected as we work out how to love your neighbour as yourself. So today, let's go back to the beginning. Would you choose to ask God's forgiveness and thereby help you to break the chains of the past that still hold you back? Would you then commit again to changing the set of your mind, your mindset, to know again the love and the compassion and the calling of God to you? And finally, will you live out that freedom as you work hard at how the calling to love your neighbour as yourself really works for you in your life in this year? Break the chains. Discover again a passion for God and live it out, friends. It's who we're called to be. Brad's going to lead us into a time of response and um, confession as well. Brad.